What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition. This is the Live Life of Wrestling Podcast. Sincere Hogan, that is me. Mike Mahler's on the other line, as always. What's up, man? I'm doing good, man. How you doing today? Doing good, man. Doing really, really well. Somebody, yeah, doing well. I'm always correcting my kids by like, doing good. No, you're doing well. <laughs> so <I'm> having, <laughs> that syntax police starts to come out of me every now and then, man. <laughs> well just doesn't sound good. Yeah, I know. I, I'm doing that. well. I'm doing well. What is that? What it you almost sounds like you're ready. It's not like you're like, okay, to change your mind. Well just code. <laughs> Try to plug your book or what? Always branding, baby. Always be branding. <laughs> always pitched it. Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about the importance of reciprocity before we started recording. And, and our guest today, he embodied reciprocity and we're going to introduce him in a second but i think i think that's such an important concept is when you're looking to work with other people don't think about what they can do for you think about what you can do for them and then they're going to do a lot for you you're going to get what you want exactly man exactly i think when you lead with always trying to maneuver people to get what you need people pick up on that and they don't and then they don't trust you and they don't want to work with you and justifiably so and, I, and I, had, I had a great experience with reciprocity. Just recently, I wrote an article called Eight Tips to Increase Testosterone. You know, it's on my website. And then Charles Poliquin graciously asked if he could put it on his website, help me out. And I'm like, yeah, man, you top strength coach in the world. And it went up live yesterday, and I've gotten over 100 orders for products from his nice. affiliate. He's part of my affiliate program. So he's, it was nice that he came to me and offered to help me out, but I wanted to make sure he got something out of that too, rather right. than just sending me a lot of traffic. So now he's sending me a lot of traffic. You're I'm making money. Check. He's making money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going to have a nice end of the year bonus, no doubt about it. And, right. and he should, because a lot of that business is coming from him. So that's just an example of reciprocity. You're thinking, someone's offering to help you out, think in your own mind, okay, what can I do to help this person out so that it's win-win all around? Exactly. Like That should be the first question in your mind before you even reach out to them. First thing you should say to yourself, like, what can I do for Mike? Before you before you hit send on that email, okay, or even before you start typing that email. Because one thing about it, like we were just saying before we started recording, there's nothing more awkward than that person <laughs> asking you, well, what's in it for me? And then all of a sudden the douchebag awards get handed out because you think he's a douche for asking you that. And then he's thinking the other, he's thinking the exact same thing. So, you know what? You can avoid all that by asking yourself that. What can I do for Mike before I even do this? Before I even yeah. send him this email or sincere? What can I do for him? And how can I help him out with this before he even thinks about trying to help me? It'll save a lot of awkwardness. I mean, it won't be awkward for me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and how does this benefit me and my yeah, audience? Because yeah. <laughs> my audience, they trust me. They know me. They like me. They probably don't know you. And I'm putting my reputation on the line for your stuff. Exactly. So how is this going to work? So, yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that. We definitely have to do a show on that one. Yeah, man. we'll do we'll do a show before the year's up. And, I mean, it'll probably be something that will be released next year, but we'll definitely do a show on that. Yep. Speaking I, of I think, reciprocity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, a, way, a way for you to, to, to practice the art of reciprocity is, one, use coupon code LLA to get 10% off any of my nutrition supplements, my estrogen blockers out there, with which both men and women can take. In addition to controlling estrogen, it improves glucose disposal, insulin sensitivity, joint health, kidney health, liver health. I mean, it's an amazing product. It goes way beyond just controlling estrogen. And again, both men and women can take it. So definitely check that out. You can use it in addition to my testosterone booster if you're someone who's prone to rapid conversion of testosterone to estrogen because the T-booster has moderate estrogen control, but some guys are going to need something stronger. Or you can use it, what I do, because I don't need the additional estrogen control, is I use it in between cycles of my testosterone booster. So I'll use the T-booster for eight weeks, and then I'll get on estrogen control for four weeks or eight weeks and then cycle back. So now you're cycling back between both. Because EC, the estrogen blocker, is basically a strong estrogen control product, moderate testosterone booster for men. And then the testosterone booster is a very strong testosterone booster and then moderate estrogen control. The, diff, the One of the big delineations is that women can actually use EC to help control estrogen dominance. And obviously, they can't use the T-booster. It doesn't work for them, but EC will. So anyway, long story short, check that out at MikeMahler.com. And how about your site, man? Yeah, go to NewWarriorTraining.com. Use the same coupon code LLA on any of the products that I have over there, whether it's the physical or digital copy of my bodyweight training DVD. It's that time of the year. Hey, you don't have to get it just for yourself. You can also buy it as a gift. It's that time of the year, people. It's the, that season of giving. So there's a nice little gift right there. So nice, subtle way of saying, hey, you need to get back in shape. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, just say, like, yeah. look, I was thinking about you, and I thought, you know, this is a great DVD. I like it. 
So I really feel like you should, you know, get it as well. So that's a nice way of saying get your butt yeah. back in shape. It's not, it's not, like, it's not like you're buying like a fat burger for something. <laughs> <laughs> they, they open a sock and start first. Like they got a fat it's burger. Like, wait a minute. Zinadrine, what are you trying to say? Like, hey, man, I'm just saying, but I'm not saying. So, yes, you can get 10% off of that as well as all you coffee lovers out there. You can also use that same coupon code to apply that to the portable coffee stands. Um, still have the smaller ones right now. By the time you probably hear this episode, probably have the big ones back in stock, which keep running out really, really quickly. But it's cool. We're going to got a nice big supply coming in. So go ahead. And if they're not available, email me so I can put you on the list. So as soon as I get them, I will reach out to you first and let you know, like, hey, they're available and give you first dibs on ordering the tall Cheerio doors before I put them up on the website. So you don't have to you don't have to fret and keep checking back. But you know, I mean, keep checking back on the website anyway. I like the traffic, but I'm just saying, you know, if you're checking back, <laughs> trying to look for the Cheerio door, just go ahead and email me, man. Say, hey, sincere, put me on the list and let me know when they're in. And I'm ready to buy as soon as you get them in, man. I mean, we can do it that way. That and all other products on my website as well. LLA is the coupon code to use. MikeMuller.com, NewWarriorTraining.com. Yeah, man, the Tria door is awesome. And a couple of Mike people have asked me if I use it. And I go, yeah, it's sincere knows I use it, use it because he was over at the house when we taught the course earlier this year. And he's, he's looking he's looking at it going, man, Mike's definitely using this thing because it's, it's, get, it's getting a little weathered. I need to get a replacement. What, what's it called? The, 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 the sock? Yeah, the, yeah, the, <laughs> the, sock the, the cotton Yeah, the cotton condom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the cotton no, condom. The, the bolsita, yeah. I was looking at Mike's. I was like, damn, dude, I got to hear him get some bolsitas in, in stock because that thing is looking beat up. I was like, damn, I just sent him this thing it's like he's had it for a year already which it's a good thing it's a good thing i know he's putting it to good use and which goes to show again we don't just get products and promote products or whatever just for the sake of doing it. we actually use them so so yeah man so yeah the both seats will be coming in as well for i know all of you that have bought your real doors before and you were asking me the same thing like hey man when should i replace this and how do i get a replacement yeah. that's coming in that's actually a priority for me right now to make sure you guys get your both seats so hang tight it's coming it's funny because when I first got it, I go, I don't know about this. This might be kind of a u- nuisance. I got to load this up every time I want a cup rather than just filling up a coffee pot. And then you taste that cup. You're like, all right, I'm in because it tastes so much better than okay. other methods I'm using. So once once you get used to it, the inconvenience, and it's hardly an inconvenience of putting some coffee beans, some ground up coffee beans in the sock and then pouring hot water over. It's not exact. It's not like it takes an hour to do that. It's right. minutes. But it, the taste is so much different, so much nicer that you'll you'll make it a habit quickly oh yeah cool all right now for our guest today he embodies reciprocity probably more than anyone i know he's one of the most generous guys if not the most generous guy compassionate guy i've ever met he's the kind of guy where if he has a client who's been through some emotional trauma and he's helping this person out and they're on rough times they can't they want to eat healthy they can't afford the bill he'll literally take that person to trader joe's whole foods and buy them food to get them on their way you know, I don't know anyone who's that generous. He really right. embodies everything he says. A lot of people talk about helping others, helping animals, helping people. They don't really do that much. They just talk about it because that's easy. This guy really lives it. And he's actually worked with a lot of celebrities. He's worked with Ellen DeGeneres. I think he still yeah. works with her. We'll talk about that. He's worked with quite a, a quite a few of these people. And a lot of trainers always ask, how do you get celebrity clients? And they're always trying to seek these people out. And I think John – who doesn't even try to get these people embodies the best way to get them, which is be a great trainer, be a great person, be an excellent source of nutrition information. And the word's going to get out and they're going to find you. And I believe that's what's happened with him. So we'll, we'll get more into his story, but John, he's also the author of the, the pillars of health. I'm holding his book right now, which is a great book in particular for people that want to get on a plant-based nutrition program. He's got great information on there and how to do it correctly, and then he's got a bunch of recipes. It's a nice read, great information. John, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show. Very good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm grateful to be here. Yeah, man. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And let's let's get started with this whole celebrity client thing, because I think that's something that's intriguing. You're, you're not a guy who seeks being in the limelight, just getting a pat on the back. You're out there in the field helping people, helping animals all the time. How did you how did you get into this whole celebrity world of working with people like Pamela Anderson and Ellen DeGeneres and others? Well, you know, I was known in the nutrition field and I was known in the fitness field. And, um, you know, it's like anything else. I never really 
I always kept the low profile, wasn't interested necessarily just with working with celebrities. I wanted to help people that were down and out. But right. as my name just got out there, you know, I start working with clients who knew celebrities and they just referred me. And then before you know it, that kind of happened. And if you look at my website, you know, you'll see me training Ellen. And I wasn't going to even talk about Ellen um, you know, when I was working with her, but people said, no, it's all over her website. She's all about you. <laughs> yeah. you, you got to put this up on your website. And I was like, okay, I'll have somebody do that then. But yeah, it doesn't really matter. The people are people, you know, they're no different. I know, you right. know, some of the richest people and the most beautiful people and, you know, the most famous people in the world. But when you talk to them on a, you know, heart to heart, one to one level, they're just normal people. Right, right, right. You know, what's interesting, John, is that John always says, look, Mike, all those people you don't want to work with, just send them to me. You know, I'll take <laughs> care of them because he knows how I am. I only work with a particular mindset. While John loves the challenge of someone who is a very difficult person to work with yeah. in terms of turning around their health goals and things like that. And John has a very clever way of getting people to work out. If you actually look at that clip at John Pierre, P-I-E-R-R-E. Is that right, John? JohnPierre.com. Mm -hmm. You'll see that clip where he's working with Ellen and her staff, and he's putting them through some really interesting workouts. He's making them have, you're, you're making sure that they have a really good time so that they stay consistent. What, what, was, what, what was the situation like when you first started working with Ellen? What did, what did she want to work with, and how did you help her out with her goals? Basically just you know, fine-tuning her on everything and just improving all around health and fitness. And so, you know, basically I look at a client on a very deep level. I just look at them from a fitness standpoint and nutritional standpoint, but mostly an emotional standpoint, mm. you know, what's going on with them emotionally. And when you work with celebrities, you know, they're under the spotlight all the time. Not, I'm not saying, right. I'm not talking about Ellen, but just in general, they're always under the spotlight. People always want things from them. You know, they have a lot of pressure and, yeah. you know, they have a lot of stress. People just think because they're rich and famous that they don't have stress. They have a lot of stress. Right. And so I try to include activities that are really fun and help release stress you know mm -hmm. not thing, I don't try to do things that are always really complicated to learn that will stress them out even more you know I'm not going to teach them the cha-cha <laughs> teach them some, some, some advanced dance move or something that's going to frustrate I mean it has to be something fun you know and it you know it has to be enjoyable yeah yeah our friend Ken Blackburn's a big fan of the cha-cha I think he teaches that now <laughs> as part of his Kelvin <laughs> program uh, we, we take a couple of jabs at him from time we haven't taken a jab on him for a while so I don't no, want him to feel like off. He's <laughs> probably gonna start thinking we don't like him anymore, man. Yeah, yeah. People are been, people have been disappointed with the lack of Ken Blackburn jabs. So we just <laughs> that, that was a perfect segue to throw that in there. And also, yeah, I, I like the fact that you work with people that you you get deeper than just their nutrition and lack of fitness. You're looking at emotional issues, and you've worked with some pretty. I mean, we're talking some serious emotional issues. I remember when we met up in Vegas earlier this year. You were telling me about. A client that had been through some serious abuse. I believe she was she was raised in some kind of satanic ritual environment, and she had serious emotional issues where she couldn't fly anywhere, and it was just normal day to day living was a difficulty. It was an arduous situation. How did the, how did you come across this individual, and what were some of the steps you took to help her out? Well, my business partner is a, a, a doctor, and so. She, she had basically been under the care of, of him, and um, he referred her to me. And so when she came into the office and I did a session with her, it was really just for you know nutrition and fitness and basic things. And it was cold out, and um, she had a sweater on, and she was kind of like scratching herself you know, up mm. and down. And she lifted her sweater up off her arm, and I could see she had puncture marks. Mm. And so I kind of confronted her about that, and she, you know, she admitted that you know, she – at the age of five, she was basically adopted into a satanic family and she had, you know, severe abuse and obviously she was assaulted every day and just, just really, really some of the worst stuff that you could ever imagine could happen to a child was done to her. And so she, she became a self cutter and she had been cutting, um, when she came into my office, she had been cutting for 30 years and she'd actually been under the care of psychiatrists, psychologists, everybody for 30 years. And I said, wait a minute, you're telling me you've been cutting for 30 years and no one's ever been able to help you stop cutting? And she said, no. So, you know, to make a long story short, um, I basically, you know, I did two sessions with her and she stopped cutting. So she was done cutting wow. after two sessions. And it's been, you know, probably about five years now and she hasn't cut at all. What did, what did you do with her, John? Well, I mean, she was the, she was actually one of the, the clients that you were referring to when she yeah. first came into the office. She 
after, you know, halfway through, you know, she said, you know, I just wanted to let you know I could only afford this one session and that's it. Yeah. And I had said to her, I said, well, that's not a problem. I said, the sessions for, for you are free for the rest of your life. And she, she kind of paused and she looked confused and she said, well, uh, the food that you want me to get to health food store, I can't afford that. And I said, no, nah, that's not a problem. I said, I'll be buying you all your own food. You don't need to worry. And she said, you know, is this a trick? <laughs> and right, I said, yeah. no. I said, this is what normal people do. They help one another. They care and they extend themselves. Yeah. And so one of the reasons that she quit cutting, you know, to make a long story short, is that basically this was the first time in mm. her entire life that she ever felt loved unconditionally, where mm. that nobody didn't want anything. Because she, she told me a month, you know, after this first meeting, she said, you know, I knew when I met you, she goes, you didn't want anything from me. She goes, you didn't even want money. She goes, you didn't want anything. My whole life, people have used me and, and, and abused me, and you didn't. And so she felt that she was worthy. She, you know, she was told her whole life that the term she told me was that her parents always told her that adopted her that she was a bad seed. Mm-hmm. And that was an old term in the 60s. Yeah. So yeah. she had, they had programmed her brain since she was a child that she was worthless and unworthy and didn't deserve anything. And basically, anytime anything happened, she was to blame, no matter what it was. So her, she had no self esteem, she had yeah. no self worth, and she never knew what it was like to be loved and cared for. And so not being a psychologist or psychiatrist, I don't have to follow the same boundaries that they do in my practice. So I would do a two-hour session with her. I would take her shopping. I would take her on a picnic. I would take her, you know, to wherever, different places. And, you know, it was the first time that she actually had a friend. She had somebody who just cared about her. So that was one of the things that helped. And then the other reason is – the other way that I helped her is I said to her, why do you cut yourself? And she said, well, I want all those men out of me. And what she meant by that is she was being sexually assaulted every day since she was a child. And she thought by letting out, you know, by cutting, she would let him out, you know, let the the bad energy and I guess in her mind, because everything to her was satanic and and she was raised that way. And I said, well, let me give you an example. I said, if I take a glass of water and I put a drop of poison in there, I said, I really can't pull out the poison or the evil. I said, but Mm. what I can do is I can flood that glass with so much clean, pure water that the poison will be gone. And I said, that's what we're going to do with you. We're going to fill your life with so much love and light that negativity can't exist. And so then I I got her this giant angel in a glass case, and we put that in her house. And then I put all these angel plates in her house and all these stick it, you know, post-it notes that were all positive affirmations. And I said, now when Satan comes looking for you, what's he going to find in your home now? And she said, she kind of paused and she said, well, well, love and light and, and angels. And I said, exactly. I said, Satan can't exist in this environment. He does not have no home here. And so that kind of, that, that was one of the main things that really snapped for her. She realized by filling herself with so much love and positive energy, the negativity couldn't, couldn't exist in her, couldn't yeah, grow. Right. Now that's a, that's an amazing story. It just shows how powerful compassion is. And mm-hmm. sometimes people real don't, sometimes people overlook that they, they would look at, this lady's example and just be overwhelmed and think, yeah. well, we got to get her on medications. Exactly. We gotta, we're going to have to do this. And all these complicated answers. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All these complicated solutions. And the first thing you gravitate towards was compassion. And that made a huge difference right off the cuff. I'm wondering if when you work with people that have had such emotional traumas and you're so compassionate is how do you, how do you maintain boundaries? Because in the past I've, I've actually had clients early in my career that were dealing with emotional issues, and I was I was I was very compassionate as well. And they took that as okay, Mike's interested in me. He wants to date me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it became like, oh, we should meet up sometime. We should do. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I'm sure. just, I'm just, you know, I care about you. I want to help you out, but uh, I don't have any romantic feelings. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, you 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 misled me. You know, that kind of stuff. This hasn't happened for a long time. But, but I mean, it's I'm curious how you deal with maintaining boundaries with clients? Well, I set those boundaries once I I feel an inclination that that's going to happen or it has happened. So I set them up right away. And then I let them know I'm here to help you. I said, I'm not here to date you. And I said, I'm here to assist you. And just like you wouldn't, you wouldn't approach your doctor or your clergy or somebody else. I said, I'm a professional right. and I, you know, I'm here to help you. And that's it, you know, but I can still be your friend. I think the difference is, is that most of my friends who are doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists, and I consult for psychiatrists, they come to me huh. and, you know, of course, uh, you know, I see the, those professionals all the time. And the one thing is they have boundaries to follow. You yes. know, they have 
guidelines. I don't have those type of boundaries. And, and, and I've told the psychiatrist that I've consulted before, and I say this in a loving way. I said, one of the reasons that you're not able to help people is because right where you have to put these boundaries is where the healing begins. Yeah. Right. You have to be so professional and so, you know, clinical. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Clinical. And, and I said, you know, people, people need to, to know that you're a human being, not that yes. you're some sort of God. Right. Right. And so I talk to them about, you know, my daily, what I do in my life. And I'm, I'm just a normal person to them. I'm a friend, but I also have to have a certain, a certain level of, of, you know, professionalism, obviously there. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that, I think that helps a lot of people, but you know, when I do work a lot of times when I work with military or law enforcement, you know, it's a little bit different Then you have to step up a little bit. It's a little bit more commanding, you know, yes. tone and a little mm. bit more, uh, now I don't want to use the term aggressive, but you know, it's not as much buddy, buddy, because you yeah. know, when I, when I work with military people or law enforcement, they're used to basically being told what to do and that's how they function. Right. So right. Each person is different. Yeah. Yeah. It's a personalized approach. You right. Look at each of individual on what's going to, what's going to be the best communication method that's most effective for addressing their needs. So that makes perfect sense. Now, how did you, I mean, you, how did you grab, have you, have you been through some traumas yourself, John, or what made you become such a compassionate person where you felt this, this became your life calling? Well, you know, actually in high school, the two oral reports that I did in high school were women's rights and animal rights. Huh. So it basically started, you know, I started pretty young. I mean, it was always like this, but it really solidified in high school. And, you know, back then I was still, um, you know, going down, downtown and uh, on the L, taking the L and delivering food to the homeless and bringing clothing and things like that. So I just always wanted to see where could I be of service, where whatever was happening in the world, how could I make a difference? You know, because Mother Teresa said the smallest deed done is far greater than the largest intention. Yeah. Right. So I always yeah. wanted to just Very do little so. I just wanted to do little things. I I wasn't out to be a hero. I wasn't, you know, trying to make a major difference in the world, but I just wanted to ease some suffering in people and um, you know, just basically just be a good person. I just you know, I just wanted to if I'm teaching this, you know, I, I walk my talk. So yeah, I mean, everything right. that I teach is I walk. I don't just teach something and and not. It's like I, I teach at a lot of so called spiritual conferences and you know, it's interesting, you know, whether you're vegan or not, it, it doesn't matter. But, you know, you have a lot of these spiritual people on stage and they're talking about love and peace and compassion yeah. and being gentle. But yet three times a day, they're committing acts of violence with their meals, you know, breakfast, sure. lunch, and dinner. They're committing act of violence with their words that they use with their wife and their staff. Yeah. You know, so they're yeah. very aggressive and violent. Yet on, when they're on stage, they're talking about love and peace. And so usually when I talk to them, I say, you know, you might want to think about, you know, sticks and stones can break your bones, but, you know, words can tear somebody's hard apart. So you might want to think a little bit more about the words that come out of your mouth and the actions that you take because they're not really consistent with what you're teaching. And, you know, people don't like to hear it. And, and I don't say it in a very aggressive way, but I try sure. to say it in a compassionate, loving way because some people just don't see that. You know, they don't they don't see that connection. And then they're like, oh, wow, I never really thought about that. Yeah, you're right. You know, I do yell at my kids a lot or, yeah, I'm kind of hard on my husband or my wife or whatever. So sometimes people just have a real disconnect with their professional and personal life. Yeah. An example is someone like Gandhi was one of the most influential leaders that we've ever seen, but he, he didn't have a good relationship with his son, for example. And his son had a lot of issues with that because he was so busy out there starting a revolution and trying to change things in India for the better that his personal life or his family life was neglected. So I, often I think that disconnect is out there. I think, I think Malcolm X had similar issues where he was so busy with his cause that everything else was just marginalized. Sure. Yeah, and you, and you can be a good teacher. There's lots of self-help gurus that do help people, and they might not walk their talk. I don't think it's authentic. I don't like it but, either. Yeah. Yeah, but but you know, I mean, they they do help a lot of people. But I just think it's you know it's not authentic, and a lot of people then start following their dietary advice, and then they don't even follow it themselves. The <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember a, a guy that I really looked up to when I was studying Sufism in college, and then I had a chance to meet this guy in Maryland one time and he was there with his wife and at first I was like oh this is a pretty really interesting guy it's cool to meet him in person and then when his yeah. wife left the room he was hitting on this young woman the whole time like no one could even talk to the guy because he was so enamored by this young lady he kept on trying to talk to her and I, and I, I was so uh, I, was, I was so disillusioned by that I was, I was so disappointed I was like oh man it's like I can't even read his stuff now as a result of that it's just even though the information is still good just right. seeing, just seeing that dip disconnect, just it just didn't work yeah, for me. So yeah. I, I wanted to make sure that people didn't experience that with me, right? So whenever I right. meet someone who 
who is a fan of mine, I'm I'm always really privy in my mind. I'm not a jerk anyway, but I make a point of giving that person some time and so forth and really appreciating the fact that my work has had such a profound effect on them. So I don't want them to leave meeting me feeling like the way I left when I met this guy. (laughs) Yeah, I just wish a lot of times that the the people that are teaching would try to walk the talk. And, you know, it takes time. You know, you're teaching these principles and at least tell the audience that I'm still working on this myself. Right, right. Exactly. And that's that's one thing I always point out, that you're always a work in progress because that makes them feel better because you put yourself so high on this pedestal. It makes it very unattainable to these people. They're like, you know what? I like what you're saying. I mean, people go through that a lot every Sunday in church. Okay, you know, you're sitting there in the pew and you're hearing all this good stuff, you know, but then after a while you feel like, man, you just start feeling like I got a lot of work to do. And then you become overwhelmed. It's like, well, you know, it's too late. There's just no way I'm going to be able, there's just no way I'm gonna be able to do all that stuff before before I die. <laughs> you know, it's just like because uh-huh. they make it seem like it's so unattainable to everyone. They become overwhelmed. So it makes them feel good to know, like, look, dude, don't don't just look at me and think that I got I'm doing everything perfect. And that I'm, you know, I've got all my ish together. You know, I'm still a work in progress, too. But, hey, we can all work together, you know, to be better people together. Sure. And, and that's yeah, when people I, really get it when they go, like, OK, it's not just him. And I'm standing behind him and trying to catch up with this guy. It's like we're in this together. And that's what we are on, on this planet. That's we have to be together. It's the only way it's going to yeah. work, you know. Yeah, yes. I think I think the key is not not to be too harsh on yourself as well because we're all we're all open to making mistakes yep. and learning from those things and then not be so judgmental with other people as well. I think the problem with <laughs> people when they admire someone else, they do what you just said sincere. They put them on such a high podium yeah. that no one is going to be able to maintain that illusion they had that they that they want that person to be. So sometimes it's it's the fault of the individual because you're putting you're putting way too much pressure well, on yeah. what you think this person what you think this person is and that everyone is is open to making mistakes, everyone has weak moments, everyone's going to fall at times. Exactly. And it just comes back to having all these expectations. That's why you, yeah. you know the yeah. expectations man they they can lead to a lot of pain. You know, a lot of pain. Yeah. I think the better question is, what are you doing to improve yourself? Don't worry about what other people are doing. So <laughs> right. much. The lesson right. I got from this author that I was disappointed by was, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna improve myself. <laughs> I'm right. disappointed then, by what he did, but what's the lesson I'm going to learn from this is I don't want to be like him. Exactly. Right. When I meet the, those authors and the people who are supposedly the gurus, I try to talk to them and share some of the things that I do and try to, you know, I guess, motivate them in a way to maybe improve without confronting them on it. I, I don't, you know, I don't make a judgment on, on what people do, but right. it's just that if you're teaching one thing on stage and then, you know, off stage, you're not really doing that, you know, that, that's, that's kind of a problem there. That's what I think. And that's, that's very common though, unfortunately, because when you're up on stage, it's almost like you're a better version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have all these people paying you attention and so mm-hmm. forth. So you're just going into this character. A lot of people, they're just going into a character. It's like an actor. They get on, they go on a movie set, they go into a <laughs> yeah. character. It's not a whole lot different than that. And then they're not going to be able to maintain that character 24 <laughs> seven. Mm-hmm. Can, when, when the group is there watching and everyone's clapping and wants to get their photo taken with you and so forth, that's all reinforcement. Yeah. But how and real are you? How real are you when you're just walking down Santa Monica with your kids coming out of a restaurant and right, when these right. people run, they run into you on the sidewalk and then, oh, my God, I'm a fan of your work. You know, I know you with your family. But I'm like, oh, OK, I'm busy. You know, it's like now all of a sudden, like, OK, that guy's not who he pretended to be. Yeah. People are out and about, you know, with their families and all that. But you just said all you saying was I'm I really appreciate the things you do. Thank you so much. I don't you know, I'm not trying to get an autograph or anything like that. And you still end up being like, you know, a straight up douche to him or whatever. Then. Dude, how disappointing is that? <laughs> you know, and with yeah. social media these days, you don't want to do that because, you know, that person, as soon as you walk away, that person's tweeting about you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and the world's going to know who you really are. So, oh, yeah. you know, even just getting back to uh, one of our past, in one of our guests recently, you know, with Chris from Jackass was on, you know, it was just kind of, he was disappointed when he met like, you know, some cele- celebrities that he thought was really cool until he met them. It's like, whoa. <laughs> it's like that wasn't what I expected. And I actually get that all the time just in the music industry, man. It's just like I, I wish I hadn't worked with these people. You know, I wish I still had that mystique of when I was just a fan and whatever. But then when I got to work with them, I was like, dang, dude, you're not exactly the person you 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 rap about or that you sing yeah. about and write music about who you are and what you're about. And, you know, I'm all about this and change and blah, blah. But it's like, dude, the first thing you want to do is go to the strip club. I'm like, OK, what? how are you trying to change the world, you know, by doing that, man? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you meet people that you admired and, and it's and it's awesome. It just affirms everything you believed about them. Yeah. And other times it's really disappointing. <laughs> like when I when I met and became friends with John Joseph of the Chromex. 
that was really cool because he, I, I, had, I had even more respect for him once I got to know him because he's doing so much good. But I was a big fan of the band when I was a teenager, <clears throat> and now I'm, I'm, a, I'm still a fan, if not a bigger fan, after right. getting to know him. So sometimes it's positive. Other times I've met people where I'm a fan, and then I met them like, oh, I wish I never met this person. Right. Because you know, now, now I can't listen to their music <laughs> exactly. anymore I think about it. You know, <laughs> they, they show up on yeah. TV, and you roll your eyes. You're like, oh, yeah. that, that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what's funny, is, what's funny, John, is that uh, Chris Pontius, our, our friend from Jackass, who was on the show, he actually had a ne- negative experience with Ellen. Oh, that yeah. Think, yeah, that made me think of you. Oh, yeah. like, I, I was like, my friend John Pierre works with Ellen. He's always talking about how she's a cool lady. And then, then that made me realize she might have just had an off day you yeah. know, or an off moment. So you can't you can't make these sweeping judgment calls either because everyone has bad days. You know, we've all had days where we something's going on. And if someone just happened to see us at that moment, we may we may not be the coolest person at that second. Right. But it's because of all the extenuating circumstances. So that, that kind of goes back to just just ease back right. with the judgment stuff because you don't really know what's going on. Yeah, when you travel with the celebrities and you see what it's like to basically be hounded every time you leave a restaurant, every time we go in a hotel, right. you know, you can't go anywhere. You're continually being photographed. And, you know, these celebrities will even tell me, they'll go, you know, JP, when I go out to eat, I'm just putting food in my mouth and somebody takes a photo, <laughs> you know, and they try to, they try to do yeah. that. And, and, you know, if you don't sign an autograph, you know, you just did a concert for, you know, two and a half hours and you're not spending two hours to sign photograph, uh, yeah, yeah. autographs, they get upset and it's like, yeah. they're human beings too. And, right. you know, it's, it's, it's sure they make a lot of money and they have a lot of fame, but you know, when, when I talk to a lot of them, I think a lot of them basically wish they had anonymity. You know, yeah, they, they could kind of go out and just do things because they'll always tell me they'll they'll say how hard it is, you know, for them to just lead a normal life. So I just, you know, send them love and and, you know, I make a judgment on them, especially if, if you meet them that aren't um, that very friendly. The thing is, I don't watch TV. So a lot of times when a celebrity calls me or they'll meet me at a so-called kind of celebrity party and give me their their information, people run up to me. Oh, my gosh, do you know who that is? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't really know. I mean, like even Ellen said to me, she goes, do you watch the show? And I said, well, I don't have a TV. And she said, oh, I'm going to buy you a TV and a TV. <laughs> and I said, what's a TiVo? <laughs> so like I don't, you know, I don't really – a lot of times I don't really know the celebrity or much what they do. So I, I, I believe just, you, John, because this is the first yeah. time you've ever used Skype. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe you. Yeah, sorry about that, that it took me so long. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I, I think it's kind of refreshing when you meet exactly. someone who's, who's not just – enamored with social media and wasting time you're too busy out there in the field in fact john told me a story at one time about how he was so successful at a clothing drive for the homeless that the shelter couldn't take the clothes because it was too much they didn't have any space yeah. for it. He, like he <laughs> said we have we have more than we can give away <laughs> oh that that was great you know back in those days i mean i used to literally get truckloads because all the people i knew would collect for me but then the schools that i would volunteer at would collect for me and you know they had tons of clothing from lost and found or whatever so I'd have tremendous amounts of clothing and that you know that 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 type of work you know I've been doing I've been involved in charity for actually 30 years and especially working with abused women and and at women's shelters and things for actually 30 years so I've been doing it a long time I've learned a lot from from working with you know with people that have had those types of problems in their lives and I think the most important lesson I've learned is that no matter who you meet and no matter how rude or mean someone is to you you have no idea the path that they've led to get there I mean, so many of these women that I've met that may be a little snooty or snappy with you, and when you sit down and you talk with them and you find out the abuse that they've been suffering since they've been a kid, you give them a whole whole box of get out of jail cards. Right. Right. You you know they have the green light for anything, and that was kind of the same thing with the client that we talked about earlier. You Mm -hmm. know, she had so much abuse and she only knew abuse, and I couldn't do enough for her. I mean, I, I just. I never could do enough for her. So, so how, I think how, that, how is she doing now? Just out of curiosity. She's, I just sent yeah. her a box of food in the mail. Okay. Um, so yeah, she's doing, she's doing well, you know, her, she, you know, if you could imagine from that age five, having that type of abuse and, you know, you're never going to be a hundred percent back to normal, Yeah. but, um, her, you know, her therapist and everyone said that she would never get on a plane. And so what I did is every time I flew, I would take pictures inside the plane. And then when I would see her in person, we would take rides to the airport. And so I'd start getting her used to what a plane looks like because she was terrified of planes. And then eventually what I did is I said, here's the deal. I called her up and I was in L.A. and I said, here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to I'm flying back to get you. We're going to get on a plane. We're going to get you a hotel room and you're going to go to a movie set and you're going to see one of your favorite movie stars. And uh, I said, and then after that, you're going to go visit your sister in 
another state by yourself and then you'll fly back home by yourself and she did it and nobody nobody could believe it you know oh, but is she had she, it was like she, she she there was somebody that believed in her so she believed in herself yeah yeah and it just took time you know i understand that a therapist couldn't do what i was doing for her they couldn't or they you know they couldn't really break those type of boundaries that they have to follow and they didn't want to necessarily take the time. But to me, it was important because it gave her a form of independence that she never had. And then after that, she started traveling by herself on her own, which gave her so much freedom. And, you know, it was really, really great. Well, I mean, that's a good question. How do you find the time to do everything you do? Because you have a business, you're working with a lot of professional clients, and then you're working with people like this, and then you're doing a ton of charity stuff. How do you manage all these different things? Well, I have a really good assistant, luckily. <laughs> so she, <laughs> she handles everything for me. Um, I just, um, you know, basically, I, I know this might sound funny because you're, you're very successful, both of you. And I don't necessarily strive to be very successful, I guess, financially. You know, I'm happy making a certain amount of money right. and I live, you know, you know, inexpensively and I don't eat the, you don't buy very expensive foods. I eat basic plant-based foods and I don't buy fancy clothes. So, so I can take a few, you know, big clients that will pay me and then the other clients I can see for free, um, and just do volunteer work. So I, I just balance it out that way. And, you know, you'd be surprised. I just came back from teaching in India and at a monastery and you'd, you'd be surprised how these monks live so happily just with very, very little. They don't right. have very much oh, yeah. at all. They eat simple meals every day. Um, they know less than me probably about a well, lot Well, I mean of often the happiest people I've met do live like that ironically. That's one thing that people in the West have a hard time getting their hands around. And I'm not saying that people that live in the dirt and squalor are happy because that's obviously not the case. But people that with, with more simplistic lives without the material wants yeah, tend, tend to be a, a little bit happier. happier. Exactly. Than someone that can yeah. have it all and tries to have it all. And that's the problem, trying to have it all. I mean, yeah, I, think the, I think the problem is the more you get, the more you want, right? So in other words, when I was making a lot less than I make now, I didn't really think about the things that I can buy now. Yeah. So all of a sudden, they become options. You're like, oh, I could get that. So I mean, I, I was happy to have a, a Honda Civic that, was, that with 100,000 miles on it. You know, I didn't care. Then you start making good money. You're thinking, well, man, I could get a nice car now if I wanted to. I'm going to do that. You know, I can live right. in a nice house now. Why am I living in this apartment? So I think uh, I, I just find your case really interesting, John, because I don't consider myself an overly materialistic. I mean, by by compared to you, definitely I'm a materialistic person. But in, in my mind, I don't buy a lot of crap and have stuff. I'm not a hoarder in any means. I try to give as much as I can to charities and so forth. But But you really embody – Living with in your means, and then anything you make beyond that goes right into helping causes. You're not thinking about any material wants. Is that, is that a fair statement for you? Right. I mean, the only thing that I am saving for is to open up a sanctuary. So you know, that's about the only. Yeah, thing. and that, that's hardly yeah. a material one. That's <laughs> right. that goes. That's being generous. You know, I mean, other people right. will be like, "Well, I'm going to buy a house now." You're thinking, "I'm going to open up a sanctuary." <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. I. You know. Yeah, I mean, I don't make a judgment on on people who do that. No, I know you don't. I don't think it's a problem, but I'm just saying I just don't find happiness in that. And and you know, the other thing we didn't talk about is that you know my background, my specialty is in geriatrics. So for over 20 years, Hmm. I've worked in retirement homes and senior centers and adult daycare centers. And I'll tell you that one of the things that I learned the most with the seniors is is just the 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 most happiness they have in their life is with their family and friends Mm -hmm. because all of them, when they're basically on their deathbed, they never they never once say, "I wish I would have had more money. I wish I had more." Cars. <clears throat> Wish I got some they, more workouts in. You know, yeah. all, the, all those things that we t- we we put so much weight on, you are really don't matter when your life is yeah, getting exactly. towards the end. Yeah, they basically have always said that they they you know if they have some regrets, it's I wish I would have you know given more charity, you know, charitable donations. I wish I would have wrote that letter, written that, wrote that letter to my daughter or son and apologized, uh, you know, cause at the yeah. end of their life, it's like those material things don't really matter. It's like, yeah. what are you leaving behind to the world? In other words, what are you teaching your kids and your, your right. friends? You know, what, what, what legacy can you live behind other than right. money? Cause right. so many people who live money behind, it only hurts their kids and grandkids. Absolutely. Exactly. It just starts yeah. all kinds of wars and, and rifts behind them. It's like, geez, such My grandfather lost all of his. I mean, he he was he started. I mean, he grew up in Montana without running water and 
very impoverished lifestyle. And he went on to become a millionaire as a consultant for Fortune 500 companies, very successful. And he he really wanted to make a lot of money with this one last gamble where he invested in a startup because he wanted to leave a lot of money to all of his, to my father, all of his grandchildren, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing went bust and he, he ended up losing everything except for he had enough money to sustain him for the rest of his life, but he lost everything else. And he was really disheartened by that. And I remember telling him, I go, you don't, you don't owe anyone anything. You know, I mean, it's right. nice that you wanted to do that for everyone, but it's, it's not your responsibility to make sure I'm taken care of. I'm a man. I'll take care of that. My father took care of that himself. He doesn't need it. And I, I think, but then the, there were relatives <clears throat> that were like, oh, you know, he shouldn't have taken that risk. It's like, why? It's his money to risk. Right. He lost it. So what? You go, you go make your own money and, and see what happens with that. So I, I, I think I, I like what you're saying, John, because I think a lot of people have this expectation of I, I, I should inherit something like <laughs> I'm entitled to that. Yeah. And that does way more damage than good. Right. Yeah. I've had lots of people try to give me money and I, I turn them down. I said, you know, you need this far more than I do. And it should go to your own health care and your, you know, your well-being. And, you know, I'm fine. So. Yeah, I just think that you know all of us could could just do a lot with 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 a lot less. We'd be a lot happier. You know, I think especially just coming back from India, it was pretty amazing to see how happy these people were sure. with so little. I mean, it was yeah. just amazing. And I think we just the other thing is that I've always taught my clients is you know just always you know throughout the day just just kind of re- recite what you're grateful for. Exactly. I mean, I I can't think of a day that goes by that. I don't have you know pages of things I'm grateful. Every every single time I turn on the faucet, I am just absolutely grateful and amazed that there's pure water coming out of that faucet. Yeah. So my, when yeah. so many people around the world are drinking muddy, you muddy know, exactly. contaminated water. Yeah. And I just think if we if we would just focus our camera, you know, focus our brain on what we're grateful for, on all the good things we have instead of all the things that we don't have, we'd yeah. be a lot happier. Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I'm too much, and, and I fall, I've fallen into this category before. I, 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 like, I like to think I don't fall into it all the time, but we tend to focus on what we don't have or what we think we want <clears> instead <throat> of what we already have. And it's, it's, I think it's very difficult for a lot of people to get into that gratitude state. But at the same time, it's also simple. My friend Steve Maxwell, he was on our show many times. He said the same things you just said, John, mm-hmm. where, where every morning he just focuses on being, just applying gratitude for everything. Exactly. That comes, right. Yeah. Going yeah. On. I always tell my clients before you put your feet on the floor when you're in bed, as soon as your eyes open, just go ahead and start it, man. You know, just go ahead and talk about the things that you're, you're grateful for. It's really hard to have a sucky day when you start your day off that way. It's just really hard because, I mean, it just it does something chemically inside of you that just starts, just gets the vibrations going, just get everything going. You're feeling good. And that day doesn't suck so much. Instead of the first thing you're doing is like, oh, Dang, this alarm went off again. Oh, snooze. Why does it keep going off? Well, you keep hitting the snooze button. It keeps going off <laughs> instead of just being happy, that, being grateful for the fact that you actually can wake up and complain about this. Because there, tr- trust me, a lot of people didn't get that opportunity <laughs> to, to wake up and complain about the snooze button going off or whatever, the alarm going off. So little simple things like that. And most people think it's very hokey, think it's hokey and woo-woo and all that. I'm like, you know what? But, dude, this is the stuff that keeps you going. This is the stuff that keeps you alive. A lot of stuff we've major our time into, like, oh, man, if I could just lose these five more pounds. Oh, man, how can I change my deadlift program? All those things. That's kind of hokey and, ho- and woo-woo to the rest of the world, <laughs> like, when you really think yeah. about it. Yeah, if, you're, if you're having a bad day and someone asks you why and you go, man, I just tried to deadlift this and I missed it, you go, okay, what else, what else happened? No, that was it. Like, that's it? You know, that's why you're so pissed off? That's right. That's right. You have a bad day? <laughs> Dude cut me off on the freeway. Really? That was it. <laughs> okay. Change lanes. Like, you should be happy you even have a car and that you're on a freeway. Exactly. A lot of people don't even have that. Can, oh, so you, you had gas taking... in your car. Okay, cool. <laughs> that was, that's good for you. <laughs> I remember I met a guy one time at, at an event, very successful guy, and he said one time he, he came back to his car, and it was a Ferrari, and someone had thrown a brick through the window. And one of his friends was like, oh, man, this sucks. I'm so sorry. He's like, no, this is great. He's like, what do you mean it's great? He's like, it's great that I'm in this situation where I own a Ferrari. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that I was so successful and, and that someone threw a brick through it and I can take care of that. No problem. So he's like, there's no real issue. There's no real problem here. I think that's <laughs> funny when someone says, like, man, I'm so sorry. What, did you throw the brick? <laughs> what are you apologizing <laughs> for? <laughs> so, John, with with the battered women, do you use similar strategies there? You, do you work with them on their nutrition and their health as well? Or is it just starting with that compassion and following going from there? 
I, each person is different, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. but always I'm teaching nutrition and fitness because I'm teaching self-care and self-love. Right. So they have to take care of the vehicle and they have to learn that they're worthy and they're deserving of care and attention because many of them will do anything for their children, right. but they won't do something for themselves. So I have to right. let them understand. And, you know, it depends how long I have to work with them. If I'm at a shelter and I can only do a lecture there, basically I'm just planting seeds there, you know, so I'm right. not necessarily uh, able to do a one-on-one, but uh, um, when I'm working with them one on one, you know, we start there, and it was it was kind of like with this this one client that I we were you know speaking about. You know, I started with just nutrition and fitness, and only just as I discovered that she was a self cutter did we go in that direction. Yeah, have you found that when you help people with their nutrition and training? All of a sudden, that permeates into wanting to improve other areas of their life, quitting jobs they're not happy with, getting out of destructive relationships. Absolutely, and that is interesting because I had a client come to me uh, where she called me on the phone, and she was about 350 pounds, and she was on handfuls of medication, and she said that she's heard all about me, but um, and I'm the only person that she's going to try to call if if I can't help her, she's going to have bariatric surgery, you know, stomach stapling and all that, yeah. and so I started with her and make a long story short, we got her off all meds, you know, right away. Um, she could barely walk around the block and. You know, basically, as time progressed, she ran half a marathon. She dropped 150 pounds. Wow! And through this process, you know, then toward the end, she became a, a very, um, very competent yoga instructor. But through this process, when she first started with me, it was all about her just getting healthy. But as I would talk about buying non-tested products and talking about animals and things like that, you know, I was just planting seeds in her and telling her. And then eventually, she asked me about these. And sure enough, before you knew it, she was asking me, "I want to get into this now, John. I'm I've been taking care of my body, and now I want to start extending this compassion to to the animals that you've been talking about. I don't want to purchase products anymore that are tested on animals." Right. And so yeah. I, I see that, you know, at first clients come in the door and it has to be about them, but eventually it's less about me, 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 and it's all about we helping the planet and the animals and humanity. Because ultimately that's what I teach. In my book, the most important chapter is that last chapter on compassion and love. Sure. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I would choose to have the whole book on that, but, you know, the publisher wanted, um, they said, we want everything that you teach. And I said, that's fine, but the last chapter is the most important. No, it's a great chapter. I, I like the book as a whole, though, because it's very comprehensive and it really infuses your philosophy. So it gets it's great nutrition and exercise information, but you go beyond that too. It's your style. So I think the book came out really well. Yeah, I mean, they 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 would only let me put in so many things. I could have been much more detailed in nutrition or much more detailed in fitness, but you had to keep the chapter small and readable and, and things like that. So. I think I think there's something to be said about keeping things simple, especially on a first book. You can always go into that and on future material. Just so because the average person, you can overwhelm them if it's too much information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I just basically wanted to plant seeds and kind of just get people toward plant-based foods, moving plant-based foods into their diet. Because, you know, a lot of times people say, well, like, because I've been vegan for 30 years. So a lot of people say, so if I work with you, do I have to be vegan? I said, well, absolutely not. I said, I'm just going to encourage you to get more foods in that benefit your body, that have higher levels of micronutrients and antioxidants, instead of putting in foods that damage your body and, you know, stress your your, your body out. So I just right. encourage more plant matter. But, you know, when I work with, like I said, military law enforcement, you know, it's very a gentle process. You know, I don't tell them that we're going to become vegan in, in two weeks. <laughs> people, you know? people get very defensive with nutrition too. It's like a religion, sure. right? So if you try that approach, people are, that's going to shut them off from everything else you have to say as well. Because sure. I, I have that happen too. When people want to sign up as clients with me for training and nutrition, they'll ask me the same thing. You know, do I have to follow a vegan diet? I go, no, you don't have to. We'll work with what you're comfortable with. But like you just said, I'm going to infuse a lot of that stuff in. You're going to be eating a lot more vegetables. You're going to have more fruits. You're going to have a lot more plant-based foods. Often they want to gravitate further, not necessarily 100% where I'm at, but more in that direction without me applying any pressure to do that. Because I think when you try to get someone, when you try to push a philosophy on someone, you're naturally going to resist. Even if it's good information, it's like someone coming to your door trying to sell you something. It could be good, but just the fact that they came to your door, you don't want to hear it. So <laughs> right. Just the fact they even rang your door, you're already <laughs> irritated. Like Especially me, I work at home, so the doorbell <laughs> rings. It instantly irritates me because it breaks my concentration. So I mean, then I go to the door and say, hey, we got this great special on, on yard work. And I go, you know what? This sounds like a great deal. But the fact that you ring my door, <laughs> I'm not interested. You know? If you send me an email, send the flyer in the mail, I might have called you up. You know? <laughs> so the approach is important. How did you how did you get into the whole plant-based thing, John? Well, again, 30 years ago when I was in high school, you know, 
uh, that's when I started because I just didn't I, – I did it for ethical and environmental reasons. Right, me too. I wanted to cause as little harm as I could in the world. And once I, I – I just couldn't believe it took me to high school to figure out that when I'm eating a hamburger, this was – a cow or a chicken or a fish. I just, I just can't believe that I was, you know, I just didn't, I didn't get that. And so once I understood it in an instant, I, I stopped eating animal products. So it wasn't hard. Everybody always says, is it hard to be a vegan? And I say, well, for me, it was an ethical thing. So it'd be, it'd be no more challenging if I said to you, is it hard for you to not steal from your neighbor? It's not like something you believe in. <laughs> so it's not a challenge for me at all. I don't, I've never found it a challenge at all because it's, I don't believe in, I, I don't, I want to cause as little damage in the world as I can. I think it's a challenge when you don't do it properly, right? So if you're eating a bunch of garbage vegan food, because just because something is vegan doesn't mean it's healthy and you feel like crap, then it's a challenge because you follow any nutrition program, which makes you feel like crap. It's going to be hard to maintain it. So how do, how do you put together an optimal plant-based nutrition program? Well, again, it's it's individual in each person, and I take a look at where they're at because I think where a lot of people fail is they go from a standard American diet where they're getting 5 to 10 <clears> grams <throat> of fiber in a day, and now all of a sudden they become a raw food vegan eating 80 grams of fiber a day, mm. and they get all sorts of intestinal problems and gas and blood <laughs> right, and these types right. of things. So I start very gently with people, and a lot of times you know, I'll, I'll introduce just a smoothie with them. You know, I'll just I'll just ask them to get a smoothie in, and we try to focus on greens and some power fruits like blueberries or some sort of berry, and then putting some sort of green in there, whether it's bok choy or kale, and then maybe using like a non-dairy milk, like so delicious, makes a almond milk or uh, a coconut milk. Starting that way with them, and yeah. I just start. Basically, what I try to do is I just try to add things into their diet. I don't take anything out. Right. And then this way they don't feel cheated that I'm taking something out because they'll say, well, can I eat hamburgers and hot dogs? I said, look, at, as long as you eat what I'm asking you to eat right now, you can eat whatever you want. And they're like, oh, really? I was like, yeah. And then they almost always say, you know what? I'm starting to feel better. Could I add more of this in my diet? Right. And then all the good starts moving away some of the bad. Right. And so then just by sneaking it into their life, you know, it's not taking anything away. Yeah, skillful means. It's what you're doing. That's what the Buddha called it, where you're getting people to follow stuff where they don't even realize they're following it. It's right. just a skillful well, yeah, means approach. But, I, but I'm not trying to trick them. You know, I'm just basically trying to oh, I know just you're not. Do, it, do it in an yeah. approach where I'm just – you know, the more good that you put in your life, the, 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 the less bad you'll tolerate. Yeah. I, I think what I'm trying to say is that you're, you're, infused, you're changing one or two simple things. And as a result of that, they start changing other things or they start wanting to change other things. So rather than you trying to overhaul the whole thing from the start, right. change a few small things and then they will actually – come to you to change more rather right. than you trying to push it. So that's a smart, it's a smart approach. I like it. I, I try yeah. to do the same thing with people. It's gradual changes. <clears throat> try to make dramatic changes with people overnight. Again, they're going to resist or they're going to go into some serious detox and they're going to have terrible symptoms and they're, they're, they're going to run back to what's comfortable. Sure. So it's a smart and, approach. And that's what, you know, the challenge is there, there are a lot of vegans who fail to thrive, but when that happens and they come to me, and they say they're vegan, and I, I'm not saying this to be, to be funny, but I literally have no idea what they're talking about because <laughs> just because you call yourself a vegan, I mean you could, you could be shooting heroin and smoking you know, crack all day. I don't and know what that you could, you could You could be eating Skittles for breakfast, sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> vegan so you, Pop-Tarts for lunch. I mean it, it doesn't mean – just because you're a, a vegan doesn't mean it's healthy, right? There's, right, there's the right exactly. way to do it. So I basically try to you know, take a look when I have those, those people come in. Usually their challenge is, is they're eating too many products. Processed foods, right. and they're not getting enough whole fresh foods. You know, when I started 30 years ago, we basically ate what we would call a hippie diet. Right. So it was fruits and vegetables, nuts and grains and beans, peas and lentils. We didn't have really as much processed food, and there really wasn't any almond or soy milk back then. Right. They had right. one that was powdered. I think it was called Soy Quick, and all it was was ground up soybeans, and you add oh. water to it. Imagine right. drinking that. Oh, I, I've had that before. It's horrible. Oh, yeah, man. and that, that's like something they should use in, in a poison control center to make yeah. you vomit. <laughs> it, it, it was terrible. So, so basically, it was it was yeah. when all these processed foods start coming into the the vegan community that people right. start moving away. Away from whole foods and they start moving to these processed foods and these processed foods that are high in salt and sugar and oil they these manufacturers spend millions and millions of dollars to, to, to have the right formula yes, that basically yes. sets off dopamine in your brain yeah. and then you're addicted to it yeah the end of overeating really gets into that right the right the, oh, the, the yeah. wrong balance of fat sugar salt chemical additives highly addictive works on your brain in a similar pathway that heroin does yeah. so that you're just compelled 
to keep going down that it just keeps calling you. How do you how do you break those patterns with people that have been eating that kind of garbage food for a long time? Well, one of the best ways is, you know, slowly but surely as I add more alkalinity to them. I'll, I do – in my book, I have a section by any greens necessary, and yeah. I use a lot of green powders And because most of these people are so acidic. Aside from their diet being acidic, their thoughts are acidic. The music yeah. they listen to is acidic. Their whole lifestyle is acidic. And so by alkalizing them, especially with the green powders, when, when I add it to water, I have them sip on it throughout the day, and they have a less craving for acid – you know, type foods, especially sugary foods. So green powders are one of the things. And I really like, um, there's a really good company called Health Force and they make a product called Vitamin Mineral Green. Oh yeah, sure. I know the guy who started that company, a great company. Yeah, yeah Jameis Sheridan. Yeah, and you know, it's such guy. a high quality company that even the sample bottles are made out of glass. Right, right. You know, so he goes through all the extremes to make it a, a great product. So usually that's one of the ways that I start with them. But the other ways from a psychological standpoint is as I start looking at their life, you know, we're trying to find out when and why are they medicating with these drugs? Because they're, they're really drugs. They're not foods anymore. Right. They're drugs. And so once we start finding their habitual habits that when do they overeat, it's right when they come home for some people and they get off work and they just broke up with their you know, significant other. So they're medicating with it. Mm-hmm. And so I try to find them alternatives and I try to help them deal with their emotions and the way they're, they're, the way they're seeing the world because it's all in the way they're seeing the world. Right, right. I mean that, that ties into what you talk about in your book, the importance of self-talk. Where a lot of people self-talk is very destructive. And what do you what do you do with people to improve their self-talk so that it empowers them more? Well, a good example is the woman we were talking about earlier had been through all the abuse. You know, one of the things is that we put up lots of, of post-it notes all over her house with positive affirmations. And also when she drove, her doctor had given her a handicap sign to put you know, on, on up, up front. And I said, what's this? She said, well, my doctor said, you know, I'm handicapped. I said, you're not handicapped. I said, every time you see that sign, you're reaffirming to yourself that you're handicapped. Right, I said, right. I don't ever want to see that sign in your car again. Yeah. And so it's, it's, you know, it's not only it's your self-talk, but it's also what you see. Every time that a woman watches TV and she sees a woman in a subservient role, then she associates that with her. You know, it's just like pornography. You know, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not a good thing for women to always be looking at that because, especially, you have little girls that are still believing in Santa Claus and they're watching pornography, and now they're basically learning at a young age that they're just a sex tool for boys. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think most TV is even good for guys because no, if yeah. you look at if you look at most commercials, the the guys are like, hey, honey, we got forty percent APR on our credit card. You know, that's not a good deal, right, dear? Really? Like, you know, the guy's always this doofus. You know, yeah, he, he's he's he's, the, he's the one in charge of the family, but he's not the yeah. smartest one in the family it's like so it's, it's sending all these mixed messages to the entire like household and so and then the kids are like disconnected they're sitting there playing their video games and they can care less they're rolling their eyes so they're reaffirming this dysfunctional family and and then people watching it they're just like okay this must be normal it's not just us look it's, if it's on tv then it must be true this is how families are supposed to be right, right. so it's it just so much of learned behaviors from the media television shows movies etc i think one of the most productive things you can do is get rid of tv i mean i have roku right i don't have cables so i can just pick and choose shows i like to watch and a lot of options for commercial free stuff and all that but tv is one of those things where if someone told me like look we need you we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and get rid of tv you're not gonna be able to watch it anymore that would have minimal impact right i'd be like right. oh well i guess i'll be reading more books and going out more <laughs> and you know doing other stuff that i probably should be probably should be doing already well, yeah, it's a form of programming, and most of the time with my clients, especially the women that have been abused, I have to deprogram them. And again, like I was at the Capitol in Washington, D.C., lecturing to a group of congressional staffers about the link between violence and children. But it wasn't just about diet. I was talking about that you have children, children that are watching violent pornography. They're listening to gangster rap. They're playing video games that are so violent and horrific. It's unbearable that they even exist where you're running over animals, you're having sex with prostitutes, you're shooting police officers. And you couple all this with violent movies and then a diet that's nutrient deficient and you expect these children to have normal functioning brains. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's definitely – I mean I definitely agree with you 100 percent on the diet and so forth. I've always wondered about the movies connection because humanity has yes. been violent long before movies and music and all that stuff came into play, right? We're, we've been a violent species for a long time. Yes. So I have to wonder how much of people's violent behavior is – Maybe well, rationalized by what they see or justified rather than provoked. 
with me, I always look at, I forget the TV and the movies and all that. I always look at the source, like what's going on with the, the family structure and the parents or the parents even around. Because a right, lot of times right. when you start talking about the video games and TV and the music and all that, well, those things have now become filler for the absence of the parents being there and being very structurally sound and very connected with those kids. And just because the parents are actually in the same building, like AKA the house with those kids, doesn't mean that they're connecting with those kids while they're there. They're kind of just tucking them away in the room. The door is closed. So now the kids on the computer doing this, the parents are not even trying to do anything because the parents are in front of a television. They're reading the newspaper. They're doing all this other stuff. So there's that, that, that lack, there's that, that missing element right, of family right there. And that's when all those other outside sources come into play. And that's usually what I've, I've come to see in a lot of situations. You know, I always, always wonder like what's going on with the source when any of these things start to happen, when any type of violence is going on. I'm like, okay, what was the family structure like? What was the family like? What was the father? Where's the father in this situation? Where's the mother? You know, and what, are the, what were they like in treating the kids? You know, are they just like the, you know, the, the girl, the woman that you were speaking about earlier in the show here, you know, when, you know, she was in the cult at five years old and being abused and the parents telling her she's pretty much the problem for everything that's going wrong in the world. You know, little things like that, because guess what? Look what ends up happening. She became violent, but she became violent toward herself in that situation. So it wasn't even necessarily all about just the environment being around the cultures. It started really with the main, the most important sources in your life, which when you first come into life is your parents. And then everything else just becomes like just I don't know they become the, just co- the the co stars of the, this big tragedy when it yeah. comes to that. So yeah, I, that's why I, yeah I'm kind of like you, Mike. When it comes to you know, when, it's very easy to say like you know it comes down to the, just that. It's like a either or. It's like it's the video games or it's the music. It's that. But I'm like we never really addressed one of the main issues is the human yeah the human aspect of it. I think it's, I think it's a super. It. I think it's a superficial. I think it's looking at things superficially. Honestly, like for example, I saw the movie John Wick last night. Right. That's yeah. that's violence from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't want to get into a bar fight after watching that movie. <laughs> right. I, I came home and played with the dogs. You know, <laughs> and not aggressively. <laughs> and then, I may add. You know? And in my culture, this is what we would say, Mike. You know why you didn't do that, Mike? Because you had home training. Okay. You know that's what it comes down. <laughs> No, but even like, as a kid, I mean, my grandma took my brother and I to see aliens when I was probably 11 years old. You know, so I mean, I've I've I've, been, I've watched a lot of violence on movies. I, I watched it. I've watched rated R movies when I was probably before 12. My parents did were very liberal about that kind of stuff. But I came from a good family where you knew the difference between what you're watching and what's real. You know, I've man, never man. I've never I've never abused an animal. I've I've loved animals since I was five years old. Let me tell you, man. It's no matter how violent a movie could be, no violent movie would ever match the discipline I would get for doing something that my parents you know other than what my parents raised me to do so i you know and even though they never had to hit me you know it's just it was just understood like you don't want to dis first of all, you just to disappoint them like that it's like they worked that hard you know to actually be there for you and all that and you would do something so silly and of course kids are going to be kids you're going to you're going to test things you're going to go through that rebellious phase but there's some kids that they're not going through the rebellious phase what they're really going through is what they've been taught and what they've learned and the thing is i wasn't taught that stuff so to do anything else other than what i've been taught that was just being rebellious you know and guess what that got old because, you know, you, you get tired of them taking your car keys away from you, you know, and you got to sit home and he's like, no, no. OK, you're going to learn. You don't get to, you don't get to drive. But it's my car. No, as long as you live in this house, it's not your car. You know, just because we gave it to you doesn't make it yours. All those when you start taking those privileges away. Then you kind of like, OK, enough of me being rebellious. But again, there are those who have again, that came from good home training. You know, yeah. so but where others think, they've I been abused, people, it's yeah, different. Exactly. That's all they know. Exactly. It's just like you know they're dealing with people who take the car keys and actually like hit them with it and then blame them for it. Like you look what you made me do. Okay, that's a totally different situation right there. And so it's, and then how you expect this child to grow up and what kind of parent they're going to end up being? Because look at the look at the model that they were taught. Okay, and that's the thing about it. So I always wonder again, what's what was the source like before we started blaming kids, even just like with animals. When people say, oh, pit bulls, they're dangerous. Are they? No. Let's talk about their owners. It's not them. I'm like, they didn't come out of the womb wanting to just destroy people. Okay. Right. The thing is, they were taught that. I was like, hate and all that other stuff has to be taught. It's not something that you're just born with. Okay. That's the one thing about it, man. So, I was, again, what's the source like in this situation? I really, I really think it's, it's the violence you're experiencing for real in your life that yeah. has the most profound effect. Yeah. I mean, if you're five years old and you've been abused, that's <laughs> going to have a profound effect on your worldview and oh, your yeah. actions and so forth. Yeah. If you're five years old and you watch abuse, which is fiction on television, that's acting. That's not really happening. You know, that's a much different paradigm, in my opinion. Yeah. But anyway, uh, back to you, John. I feel like we're leaving you out. <laughs> <You're> sorry. <sir. Yeah. laughs> what? What? Uh, 
where, where can people find out more information about what you're doing? Do you have online programs? Do you have distance consulting? Yeah, I do that. I try to do, you know, I basically try to tell people just get my book. It'll save you a lot of money instead of seeing me because basically the book is going to cover what I would do with you for a few sessions as a client. But, you know, my website is just my name, johnpierre.com. And then my sanctuary or my 501c3 is livingwithharmony.org. Okay. And basically what I'm trying to do is open up an animal sanctuary and a retreat center. So I'm working on trying to do that right now. Are you doing fundraising? Can people make donations there? Yeah. Actually, okay. there's a, a donate button on livingwithharmony.org. And uh, yeah, I'm basically just looking for property to be able to have to rescue um, laboratory animals that have been rescued and some farm animals. Oh, okay. And then be able to build have cabins so we can have retreats there. That's fantastic. This is in Colorado that you're looking uh, for? I'm looking in Colorado and like Utah. I mean, if somebody's okay. able to donate land somewhere, I pretty much could go almost anywhere. But it's okay. all like anything else. I have the staff for it now. Everyone has joined in but it's just the financial part that okay okay so we'll definitely put yeah. that in show notes and i'm going to go take a look at the website once we're off the call here and let's see the book can be purchased at amazon it can be purchased on your website i encourage yeah, people to my check website yeah that would be good because okay. somehow every time you click on my book it'll take you to amazon then i get like an affiliate link that way anything you buy on amazon I see. Okay, mm-hmm. perfect. So that's johnpierre.com. You've got a ton of good recipes on there as well, good articles. You have a great wealth of information on the website, so people should definitely check that out. Well, thanks again for coming on, John. We appreciate well. having you. Definitely a lot of food for thought, good thought-provoking conversation, and we look forward to having you back sometime when you're available. Yeah, thank you guys for your great work, and have a wonderful night. No thanks again, thank John. You. Appreciate it. Bye. Take care. And again, that's our friend John Pierre. Go to John P I E R R E dot com. And then there's livingwithharmony.org. I'm going to check that out. Mm-hmm. One thing about John is if you make a donation, because I'm going to go make a donation, because I know John's going to put it to good use. It's one of these things where I, I like organizations where I know the person who <laughs> runs it, like our friend Melia Kaplan, like our friend James Pond, working with victims of human trafficking. Because we know how committed these people are. Like, so Sarah and I always made a joke that if we found out that someone like uh, George, James Pond was a fraud, we'd have to go kick his butt personally. You know? <laughs> we'd have to he get knows on a this. plate. George, it's not like we sit about his back. He knows this. Like, okay, we're, we're, going. we're, we're all watching CNN one day. It's like, yeah, hey, new scandal, American <laughs> he's, Greed. He's in handcuffs. He's, he's on American <laughs> Greed. And on American Greed, James Pond. <laughs> we're, we're like, like what? what? <laughs> like, Wouldn't be enough just to get the word out. I'd be like, no way, man. <laughs> <laughs> how much we've donated and how much we've talked about you, there's no way we're going to let that fly. <laughs> oh, man, that would be crazy. All right, folks. So remember, support the show by giving us some reviews on Stitcher. Give us some reviews on iTunes. Let's get up to 200 because the reviews really help our ranking. Let's get the Stitcher up. Use that coupon code LLA. You get 10% off any of the products that either of us sell at our respective websites. we got MikeMahler.com. we got NewWarriorTraining.com. Yep. And keep that feedback coming. We appreciate it. Take care, everybody.